0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Take your Bible and go to John chapter 3, John and the third chapter. This is a familiar story, what's often referred to as we uh, uh, think about the Lord Jesus Christ and his early ministry, and it's a wonderful chapter that, Explains to us uh, salvation, and I want to look at it certainly from that aspect this morning, but also the aspect of our faith, our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 3, let's read the first three verses, and we'll dive into a little more of the chapter in just a moment. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus comes to the Lord Jesus Christ questioning the Lord's trustworthiness. Uh, Keep in mind, Nicodemus, this is not his first encounter with things about this so-called Messiah that he has heard about. Nicodemus is well aware as a Pharisee, as a ruler of the Jews, concerning the rumblings with the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, he is aware that this man has come on the scene He is supposedly the Messiah that the Old Testament prophesied. So Nicodemus, though he comes at night, is not completely in the dark here, right? He knows some things about Jesus Christ. He would certainly have been aware of John the Baptist's words back in John chapter 1, where Jesus walking, John looked at him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Nicodemus would have heard about that. He would have heard that John the baptizer was uh, saying that this is the Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting for. And so Nicodemus would have gotten word of that as a Pharisee. He was aware, of course, of Jesus' baptism. Jesus came to John and, and desired baptism of him there in the Jordan River. And you recall that when they came up out of the water, the heavens opened and the Spirit of God descended like a dove and lighted upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. No doubt the word of that uh, had spread quickly, that this voice from God himself in heaven had put his stamp of approval upon this one Jesus Christ. John, uh, I'm sorry, Nicodemus would have been aware that there were a group of people starting to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He would have known of this little band of disciples that Jesus was gathering around him. In John chapter 1, uh, Jesus is with Andrew in verse number 40, and then, and then Andrew brings his brother Simon, Peter, in verse 42, and, and then we see Nathaniel, and then we see Philip in the next two verses. And so Nicodemus was aware that there was a group of people beginning to gather around this one that was pronounced the Messiah. He would have been aware of Jesus' first miracle, no doubt, in John chapter 2, where Jesus turns the water into wine at the wedding there in Cana. He was aware of the cleansing of the temple that would have taken in cha- place in chapter 2, where Jesus went in and, and uh, uprooted the tables and threw out the money changers and said, you've made my house a house of merchandise, and it should be called the house of prayer. And That word would have, would have spread rapidly. Jesus uh, Nicodemus was aware of the Lord's prediction of his own death, burial, and resurrection. In John chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus answered and said, destroy this temple, and I'll raise it up in three days. And the Jews said, the temple was forty and six years in building. Wilt thou rear it up in three days? But Jesus spoke of the temple of his body. And so he was speaking already of his death, his burial, his resurrection. Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, as a ruler of a religious group, certainly would have been aware of all of these things that were going on around him. But Nicodemus comes to Jesus here himself, personally, in John 3. And he's questioning the trustworthiness of the Lord. He's wondering, can I trust him? Now, you've come to Bible Baptist Church this morning. You've stepped inside the doors of a church building on a Sunday morning. And no doubt you are aware of some things in the Bible. You have studied the Bible. You are aware of who God is and who Jesus Christ is. And and most of us in this room have accepted him as our personal Lord and Savior, and we are desirous to serve him, but sometimes we wonder, but can I trust him? Can I really make this theme that the church is talking about faith? Can I really, can I really live that personally? I mean, that sounds great for the church. That sounds great for everybody else. I mean, certainly pastor needs to trust the Lord and, 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 and maybe the deacons, they need to trust the Lord, but, but I'm not so sure that, that I can. I mean, let's just be honest. Our trust level has been taking a hit lately. We, we naturally trust, but lately it seems like in our culture, the things that we put our trust in disappoint us. I mean, think back a couple of years to 2020. I know you don't want to and you don't like to, but remember COVID, and what did we do? We, we trusted the scientists. We, we trusted what our politicians were telling us. We trusted what they said about all these things. But now, looking back a couple of years later, we're like, I'm not sure that was the right thing. You know, wow, they, they, they kind of suggested this, and that turned out to be false, and, and they said this was right, and, and that turned out to be untrue. And, and so when that happens, our trust level sinks. We, we vote for a politician, we, we hear the campaigns, we hear the speeches and everybody says, this is what we're gonna do and this is what has to change and we elect these officials and they get into office, whether on the local or the state or the federal level and we put our trust in them and then they get in office and it's like, hello, <laughs> you know, what are you doing? Why aren't you doing anything? Why don't you solve this problem? And our, our trust level can get to the point where we don't even want to vote anymore. You know, we, we, we think, ah, it doesn't do any good. Who's in office? They're all the same. And our trust level in leadership politically begins to sink. We trust the news media. I mean, we turn on the news, and, and we listen, and they tell us things, and then two weeks later we found out that wasn't true, or, or at least it wasn't completely true. And we begin to distrust the news media. Sometimes we have put our trust in educators. We put our children in school, and we believe that those teachers are going to instruct our children how to read and how to write and how to do math problems. And, and 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 we put them in the school, and we we trust that teacher. We trust those educators to to help our children grow in their in their knowledge and so on. But boy, today we kind of wonder, can we really even trust the schools? Can we trust the educational system? We trust in religious leaders, we trust our neighbors, we trust our friends, we we trust family, only to realize later we've been scammed, that we were given something false. And what happens is, that carries over into our spiritual life. And when it comes to God, we wonder, Can I trust him? I mean, I thought I could trust my neighbor, but it turned out I couldn't. I thought I knew my family member well enough to trust them, but it turned out I couldn't. And we think, I know God, and and, and I've I've trusted him for my salvation. I believe his word. And and that sometimes trials come and difficulties come. We begin to wonder and we begin to doubt. And we say, can I really trust him? Nicodemus is questioning here the trustworthiness of this one Jesus Christ. Now Jesus knows Nicodemus' heart. He can see right through all the outer trappings and all the things that he's going through in his mind. And it's interesting how Jesus, in spite of the mistrust that Nicodemus may have had, Jesus takes him to his most important need, and that's his need of salvation. Jesus redirects the conversation time and time again to the need that he has in his soul. And as he does this, he gives Nicodemus four undeniable proofs of his trustworthiness. First of all, he shows him the undeniable proof of his scriptures. Now, Nicodemus is struggling here as he comes to the Lord by night. He's heard some things. He has he uh, seen some things about Jesus. But he comes alone. He comes at night, perhaps to avoid the crowds and, and avoid the distractions. He wants a personal one-on-one, face-to-face meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ because he's wondering, can I really trust you? And Jesus, to prove his trustworthiness as God, shows him the undeniable proof of the Scriptures. Look at verse number 4. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So here he's he's redirecting him back toward his need of salvation. But in that process, he shows them, Nicodemus, you can trust what I'm saying because of the undeniable proof of my word of the scriptures he says except man be born of water and of the spirit now there would be some theological discussions about what the word water there refers to. we do know this it does not refer to baptism. Now, some religions would teach that because of this verse You have to be baptized in order to go to heaven, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. Well, we know that this water here is not referring to a baptism, whether by sprinkling or immersing or whatever mode you might choose. It's not referring to baptism because baptism always refers to death rather than birth. And the context of the passage is Jesus said, you need to be born again. You need to have a new birth. So baptism pictures death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, right? So when we get baptized after salvation, we go a tank of water we stand in that water and our body and that water form a picture of the cross the death of jesus christ we are then lowered beneath that water to picture his burial of three days and three nights and then we're raised out of that water to picture uh, the newness of life that christ has given us uh, through his resurrection so baptism pictures that death that burial and the resurrection of Christ. It certainly is not pictured here in the context of this scripture. So he's not talking about baptism. Now there would be, in the context of this conversation, this water obviously could refer to Nicodemus's physical birth. As you know, a baby inside the womb of the mother is encompassed in water, isn't it? when your water breaks, it's time to go to the hospital, right? (laughs) When the water breaks, it's time to have the baby. So birth physically is a water birth in that sense. And in the context, Jesus said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, wait a minute, Uh, how do I do that? How can I get back into my mother's womb and be born again? So he's, he's making that contextual connection there, right? He's thinking birth. Okay, you're saying born again. I'm already born. I'm already physically born. And Jesus is saying, yes, you need a physical birth, but now you need another birth. You need a spiritual birth. So certainly the water there could refer to that physical birth and then now a spiritual birth. But water is also typical. It is an illustration throughout the scripture of the word of God. As the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. So would we not agree that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God? Without God's word... We cannot have the information we need to know about salvation. And so we need the water of his word. Jesus told the woman at the well, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. For the water that I shall give him shall be a well of water, springing up into everlasting life. Revelation 22 and verse 17 says, The spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is athirst come and take Of the water of life freely so nicodemus is being assured here of god's trustworthiness on the basis of his scriptures of his own will begat he us through the word of truth lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls so the trustworthiness of God is proven through his scriptures that cannot, according to John 10, 35, be broken. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Many years ago, there was a famous atheist by the name of Voltaire. And Voltaire would go everywhere preaching that there was no God, that the Bible was, was uh, foolishness. And, and, and Voltaire vowed that in his lifetime, they would destroy every copy of the Word of God in the world. That was his goal. That's what he was set out to do. And he predicted that the Word of God would vanish from the face of the earth. Within one year of Voltaire's death, his own house was turned into a Bible distribution center by the Geneva Bible Society. You know, people laugh at the Bible and they make fun of the Bible and they say, oh, you worship a paper pulp and all that kind of thing, you know. But God's Word stands, doesn't it? And God proves His trustworthiness to us through His own scriptures. But then He proves His trustworthiness through His Spirit. Did you notice there, He said, except a man be born of water and of the spirit now Nicodemus is still skeptical here in verse uh, six Jesus says that which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of spirit is spirit marvel not that I say to you you must be born again no doubt Nicodemus still has this puzzled look on his face as he's speaking to Christ he's still not comprehending it he's still not understanding it and so Jesus expands it further And he talks about the undeniable proof of his spirit. For a person to be saved, they need the seed of the word of God to be planted in their heart. That's why we we go out soul winning. That's why we give people gospel tracts. That's why we invite people to church. Because we know that if we can get the seed of God's word into their heart, God has a chance to use that seed to bring forth regeneration. Regeneration. So the seed is the Word of God, as Jesus said in Luke chapter 8, the seed is the Word of God. So we got to get the Word of God into people's lives. But it is from the Holy Spirit that that regeneration takes place. It's the Holy Spirit that has to quicken the heart and the mind to receive Christ the Savior. That's why he says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. See, salvation cannot take place through our flesh. We, we talked about this last night and even on Friday night to some degree. You can't get to, say, get to heaven through something you do in the flesh. You can join a church, but that doesn't get you to heaven. You, you can get baptized in water, but that doesn't get you to heaven. Uh, you can be a good neighbor and you can do kind things in the community, but none of those things will get you to heaven because that's all flesh see you can get baptized but it's simply baptized flesh Uh, you can join a church but that would just make for fleshly church members Uh, you can do good works but they're still fleshly works it's the spirit that quickeneth the flesh profiteth nothing the words that i speak unto you their spirit and their life think of it this way in this context Way back in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says in verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Creation, the first day. Verse 2 says, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Okay, so in that moment of creation, there was we see now when god spoke the universe when he spoke the heavens and the earth into existence the bible says the earth was void it was it was directionless it, it, it had no purpose it was dark there, there was there was nothing really going on there and so the bible says in the latter part of verse 2 and the spirit of god moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. So think of it this way in your heart and life. The seed is planted into a person's heart. They hear the word of God. But sometimes there's still confusion. They're still in the dark. They're still groping. They're still grasping. You know, what does this mean? What do I need to do? I don't understand. And it takes the Spirit of God to move upon that word. The word move there has the idea of brooding over, like a hen would brood over her chicks. The Spirit of God is brooding there over the world, and God says, "Let there be light." And all of a sudden, with that light comes direction. There, there comes purpose. There comes life, and that's what happens at the moment of salvation when the Spirit of God works in our heart. All of a sudden, remember when you got saved? All of a sudden, it made sense all of a sudden the light went on, as we might say, and we understood the gospel. We understood that we were a sinner. We understood that that sin condemned us. We understood that Jesus Christ died for us, and all I have to do is receive Christ as my Savior to be born again. That light comes on. Why? Because the Spirit of God moves upon us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6, God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Look, if you've witnessed to people, if you've told people about Christ, if you've gotten them to come to a service, Thank God for that. And now we can pray that the Holy Spirit of God will brood over them, that God will move in their hearts and their lives to bring them to Christ. I have a pastor friend who uh, has a church, and, and uh, he was telling me this story the last time I was there. He said, Brother Gatch, there was a man who would bring his family to church every Sunday. He'd drive them to church, his wife and his children. I think he had three children, and he would bring them to church. And he'd pull up to the front door of the church, and his wife and his children would get out, and he would go, and he would park the car. And the first time he did it, we thought, he's just parking the car, he'll come in, but he didn't. He just sat in the car. Well, one of the ushers went out and said, hey, why don't you come in? He said, no, no. I'll just wait till the service is over. And, and he waited in his car. And his wife and children came out, and they drove home. Next Sunday, same thing. Pulled up, let off his wife and children. They got out, came to church. He parked the car, sat in the car. He did that every Sunday for three years. For three years. He'd bring his family, drop them off. They were all getting saved, and and getting baptized and, and getting involved in the church. And, and he was fine. He, he didn't mind. In fact, he was bringing him. But he didn't want to come in. The pastor went out and talked to him, and deacons went out and talked to him, and friends of his family went out and talked to him and invited him in. And he'd say, No, no, I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay. I'm just waiting. Well, it was a warm weather place, and so the church uh, during the preaching would open the door <laughs> so he could hear. He could hear the singing. He could hear the preaching, thought, if he's going to sit in the car, we'll just minister to him in the car, right? We'll just get him, and people would give him a track now and again, or an invitation to a special service, you know, hey, we're having Easter, why don't you come in? No, no, just sit here, three years. But you know what? The Spirit of God was brooding in that man's life. One day, no special day, nothing unusual going on, he pulled up, dropped his family off, parked the car, And he got out. And he walked in the door, and before a song was sung, before a sermon was preached, he walked to the pastor and he said, I'm ready. The pastor said, for what? He said, to be saved. He was wonderfully saved. The Spirit of God is proof that we can trust Him. You see, it's, it's God, the Holy Spirit, that has to draw us to salvation. And that still small voice that maybe you hear today, that voice of conviction, that's the Spirit of God brooding in your life. Don't turn it away. Don't say no to it. Allow the Spirit of God to draw you unto Himself. Sometimes you can't see that voice. You you don't don't know from whence it came. As Nicodemus is told, it's like the wind. It it comes and it goes. You can't see it. You don't know where it came from. You don't know where it's going, but it's there. And that conviction that we sense when the word of God is preached is proof of his trustworthiness. But Nicodemus is still skeptical. Verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, how can these things be? So, Jesus is proving himself through the scriptures, through his spirit, but now he must prove himself through his sacrifice. Jesus takes Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee, to something he's very familiar with, and that's the Old Testament. These Pharisees knew the Old Testament very, very well. In fact, a Pharisee, as Paul was before he got saved, Paul was a, was a religious uh, zealot. Uh, Paul knew, he said, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Most of these Pharisees had memorized the law. They kept over 630 commandments concerning the law. So Nicodemus would have known well the Old Testament. He was schooled in it. He was, he was committed to that Old Testament law and keeping the law. That's why he had this struggle about putting his faith in Christ, because he was relying on something else. And so Jesus, in his love, in his mercy, he takes him back to the Old Testament, and he proves himself and his trustworthiness through his sacrifice. Look at verse number 10. Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Ooh. Now, Nicodemus's ears probably perked up when he heard the name Moses, right? Because he's an Old Testament scholar. Certainly he knew about Moses. And he was all into Moses. I mean, Moses was the man who, who got the law from God and gave it to the people, right? So Nicodemus is all in on Moses. And so when Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Nicodemus would have immediately remembered the story. There was a time in Israel's life back in Numbers chapter 21 where the children of God, the Israelites, were straying from the Lord. They were getting away from God. They were backsliding. They were doing their own thing and they were not obeying the Lord and so, as God does with his children, he begins to chasten them. He brings some judgment into their life to awaken their conscience, to get them back on track. And you remember the story how serpents appeared in the camp of the Israelites and began to bite them. And everyone that was getting bitten was dying. And so thousands of people are dead, and Moses cries out to God. He says, God, have mercy on us. Stay this plague uh, we, we're, we're losing everybody. These serpents are, are biting and people are dying and we understand that it's because of our sin and you're judging us, but Lord, please have mercy on your people. And God tells Moses in verse number eight there, Numbers 21, he says, the Lord said unto Moses, make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole and it shall be, it shall come to pass everyone that is bitten when he looketh upon it, shall live. So he says, here's what you do, Moses. Here's how we'll stop the plague. Get a pole, take a fiery serpent, put it on the pole, lift it up in the camp, and tell the people, if you'll look on this serpent on the pole, you'll live. If you refuse to look, you'll die. And so Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now, way back here, hundreds of years ago, what is that all about? Well, Jesus is about to tell Nicodemus what that was all about. Moses makes a serpent of brass. Now, why would God tell him to make a serpent? Well, a serpent was the most appropriate emblem of Satan and the poisonous nature of sin that brings death to all men. You remember when we meet the devil the first time in the Garden of Eden, he comes as a a serpent. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field that Lord God had made. And the serpent says unto the woman that God said, you know the story. So the serpent, the snake, was the most appropriate emblem or symbol of Satan's work and the poison that he injects into us by tempting us to sin. And that sin brings forth death. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. Lust, when it's conceived, brings forth sin. Sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. The wages of sin is death. So this serpent was picturesque of what Satan's work is. He injects sin into our lives through his temptations, and that sin produces death. Now, why a brazen serpent? Is that important? Well, it is very important. Brass speaks of divine judgment. You might recall in the tabernacle, they had a brazen altar in the tabernacle, an altar of brass. Brass is the hardest substance known to man. It's harder than iron. It's harder than uh, clay, obviously. It's harder than gold. It's harder than silver. Brass is the hardest substance there is. God had commanded them to make a brazen altar in which to place their sacrifices on for sin. So this brazen serpent is very important because the brass symbolized the divine judgment upon God, and there was only one who was hard enough, if you please, to withstand the judgment of God. And that was the one that was coming. That was the one Nicodemus is about to meet, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that serpent was made of brass because it symbolized sin, it symbolized the divine judgment, but it symbolized the Lord Jesus Christ who would be lifted up on that cross. And he was the only one that was sinless. He was the only one that could possibly have gone to that cross. He was the only one that could have possibly been the Savior, because he was indeed the Son of God. The trustworthiness of God is proven through this sacrifice. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse of for us as it is written cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree god sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh in in philippians chapter 2 who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, that he might taste death for every man. So, verse 15, he says... In verse 14, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You see the correlation back to the wilderness and the serpent on the pole? If you'll look at the pole, if you'll look at the serpent on the pole, you can live. If you refuse to look, you're going to continue to die. They were already dying. They'd already been bitten. You and I are a hopeless human race. We've already been bitten by sin. We're already on our way to hell. And if you refuse to look at the one who is lifted up on the cross of Calvary for your sin, you will die in that sin and be lost forever. But if you'll look, you can live. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's proving his trustworthiness in his sacrifice who would you die for who would you die for would you die for your spouse i think most of us would say yes i would i love my spouse and if it came to it i i would be willing to die for my spouse would you die for your children? Well, I think most parents would say yes. Yes, I would. I would die for my children. I love them. I would want them to live and I would be willing to sacrifice my own life for my kids. Would you die for a friend? Well, maybe not all friends, but certainly there are some that I think we would say yes. I believe I would. But would you die for Adolf Hitler? Would you die for a serial killer? Would you die for a rapist? He did. He did. And then he died for all. God so loved the world. And if there's an undeniable proof that he is trustworthy, it is that. His sacrifice. Not just for those he loved, but for those who hated him, who cursed him, who laughed at him, who scorned him, who literally crucified him on that cross. He died for them. The undeniable proof is seen in his sacrifice. But if his word is not enough, if the scriptures are not enough to prove his trustworthiness, if the holy spirit and his work in our life is not enough to push us over the edge to trust him, if that sacrifice still blinds our minds, there's one more undeniable proof. And that's his spotlight. Look at verse 19, and this is the condemnation. He's still speaking to Nicodemus, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deed should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds might be made manifest that they are wrought in God. The the, the proof of God's trustworthiness is in the fact that he's way ahead of your excuses to reject it. He shines the spotlight on your life and God knows what you're thinking right now. He knows that doubt. He knows that, that resistance. He understands that you're not to trust him as savior you're not ready to follow him as a christian and he shines a spotlight and he says you know why you won't trust because you love your darkness more than you love your light the light if there's anything that proves the trustworthiness of god it's the fact that he knows exactly where i'm at right you ever wonder how did the preacher know what i needed Say to the pastor, Pastor, boy, I don't know, you were reading my mail this week. Well, it wasn't the pastor that read your mail, it was the Holy Spirit, it was God Himself. And so often He shines the spotlight. You see, we reject the Scripture, we resist the Spirit, and we refuse His sacrifice. Why? Because we relish in our sin. This is the condemnation. Light is come, but you love darkness rather than light. We choose the darkness over the light. How sad that even when God shows us this is what you need, Nicodemus, you need salvation, you need Christ, you need to be born again, so often men turn away because they don't want to give up the darkness for the light. Christian, we can start losing our trustworthiness Not because we don't know that God is true. Not because we don't know that He's honest. Not because we don't know He keeps His promises. We choose to not trust Him because we want to live our life the way we want to live it. We don't want to give up. We don't want to sing that song the lady sang ago. anywhere and and everywhere and anything and everything. We, We want to hang on to some of that. I love the word whosoever in the Bible. It's found here in our text. That whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever. Whosoever will may come. Whosoever means everybody. It means anybody. There's no one that God can't save. There's no one that God doesn't love. And and God offers salvation to whosoever will. But there's another whosoever in the Bible. There are two groups of whosoever's. Whosoever means everybody. It means all. And, and, And the Bible makes it clear that every person that in faith trusts Jesus Christ the Savior can be saved. Whosoever will may come. But in Revelation 20 and verse 15, and whosoever was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into a lake of fire. You see, that's a whosoever. And it doesn't matter. Well, I went to church. I was a good person. I, I, I was respected. No, whosoever doesn't look at that, that cross is lost forever. Which group of whosoever are you in this morning? Are you in the whosoever group that said, you know what, God's trustworthy. I know he's working in my heart through his word. And I sense it, and I see what he did for me, and he loved me, and he died for me. Therefore, I'm going to accept him. And because you were born again, you have eternal life. You're in that whosoever will become group. But friend, if you walk out today and reject Jesus Christ because you're hanging on to some doubt or some fear or some sin in your life, whosoever was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into a lake of fire. That's your choice, which group of whosoever you're in.